This is a podcast about failure. With me, Lola Berry, author, nutritionist, and yoga teacher. Join me as we get to know these guests and learn about how their failures have ultimately shaped their dreams. Welcome to Fearlessly Failing with Lola Berry. Hello, it's Lola Berry here. Quick little check-in. Um, I think it'll be the, it is now our second week of kind of like the 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 restrictions slightly lifting. Although Matt and I are still self-isolating in Torquay, and we love it. I don't think we want to leave anytime soon. I think I don't know. Matt, Matt brought this up actually at the very start of lockdown. That maybe Matt is my boyfriend, by the way, Bosso, also the wonderful producer of this podcast and I absolutely drive him nuts and he's sitting next to me smiling as I say this but right at the beginning of lockdown Matt said I'm more concerned about when we have to come out of lockdown he said like that's going to come with its own set of confronting circumstances like seeing people again being afraid if someone coughs near you or coming into contact with people like I've noticed when I go out into the public people are less inclined to make eye contact now that's just when I go for my beach walk or something like that. So it's really interesting. It's an interesting time. We definitely both are really settled into living in isolation together. Uh, and for me, like I study and studying via Zoom is actually becoming kind of cool and a very different way to learn, but feeling super grateful to still be able to study during isolation. Righto, today's guest, Olivia Molly Rogers. Wonderful girl, wonderful story. So she was Miss Universe in 2017. She's a South Australian girl. This girl's a speech pathologist and you'll hear she's got this very beautiful voice. We just were editing a little bit of the podcast together now and I was like, oh, how beautiful is Olivia's voice? She's got this wonderful voice. She's got this positive mindset and outlook, really open about mental health, really open about body image. I think uh, if you're a girl that's ever suffered with, I guess, a little bit of body, body dysmorphia or, you know, you have those days where you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, I feel fat today or my tummy doesn't feel good or my thighs look big or my butt looks shit, whatever it is, um, you'll probably relate to this because this is a very seemingly successful, super beautiful girl that shares her own struggles and battles with her body and, um, and the way that she's kind of moved through that. And then to see her on the other side of it as well, this beautiful picture of health. Uh, thank you, Olivia, not just for sharing so much of yourself, but just for being super open, honest, and also sharing your knowledge. I have loved hearing yeah, you speak on so many different topics. And thank you for inspiring me to get into drawing and coloring because I now color in every day as part of my mindfulness practice and you absolutely triggered that in me. So thank you and everybody, I hope you love the beautiful and kind and caring and super knowledgeable Olivia Molly Rogers. You and I met, do you remember when we met? I remember it very well. You were speaking at an event. Yep. At This Is Life Wellness Mm -hmm. Studio, is it called? 
Um, it was a lunch and I, to be completely honest, I hadn't heard of you before. I hadn't lived in Melbourne for that long. You just chopped your mop. Just we chopped talk- my mop. We were talking about the mop, I Literally, remember. I think that week even. It's been a lot of fun to research you. I think I texted you this yesterday because because of the Miss Universe Mm -hmm. Um, journey, there's so much footage of you and you've got these long, luscious. I look like a completely different person. Well, you kind of go from like cute, hot girl next door to like sassy, sexy, (laughs) gives you like this spunk. I don't know. Thank you. I don't don't see myself like that at all. But Really? Yeah, no. So Uh, Definitely not the sass. I I think I'm, yeah. Sass in a good way. uh, I'll take it. But I just don't don't think I'm sassy. (laughs) I don't think I'm cool enough to be sassy. Well, this is the thing that I loved. I watched it. So I went through the, I went down the rabbit hole on YouTube that is Olivia Molly Rogers and watched watched every interview and you're like oh yeah I'm a huge nerd at school I had a I had a book cl- you've got a book club back oh I do yeah. well I did and in I, Adelaide, I really yeah. miss that I'm thinking now I should start maybe like an online book club yeah. or something do it find my people yeah man mm-hmm. uh, and I love that you've said you're like an I often call myself a goober but when you said a nerd I was like yeah you're speaking my language yeah <laughs> so for people that um are just tuning in now you Miss Universe Australia 2017. Correct. Seven. You'd 2007. Like, I was. You would have been 12 15, or something. 15, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> 2017. <laughs> um, you've done so much stuff. Model, obviously. Um, you're like brand ambassador for a mazillion different campaigns. A mazillion. That's a good number. Yeah. Oh, there's been a lot. There's been a lot. It's been, you know, almost three years now since Miss Universe yeah. happened. So that kind of propelled a whole lot of different things. Yeah. yeah. But like TV presenting, hosting, you've been on heaps of radio shows, TV shows. Like you've kind of done the gamut of like all things media in Australia. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, and for someone who never planned on doing any of that, it was kind of. How cool. I love that. Yeah, it was cool. It's been cool. And then the other parts of you that I'm so excited to explore is speech pathologist. That's hard to say when you've got a list, by the way, which you've probably already picked up on. (laughs) You've got like a nice, it's not, I wouldn't call it a lisp so much as just like a, a different S. Oh, that's so, oh, my goodness, that's so nice. Do you know, after this, I go to my dialect coach. I have oh, a dialect really? coach because I'm learning But I like your S. I love it. Do you? I love, yeah. I think, like, there's, and for me, like, I, speech impediments do um, sometimes really rub me the wrong way because I'm like, oh, I just wish someone helped you when you were younger. But yours isn't like that. Yours isn't the type of lisp that really impairs your speech. It's just like, just like a nice feature of your speech, I think. Oh, that's, oh. <laughs> day made, day made. So, okay, so because I will digress the way I interview, unfortunately, is my brain is like a little. Oh, no, I'm the same. Boo, That's <laughs> Even when we got here in the five minutes before this, you were like, I think we've spoken about five different topics. Oh, yeah, just open like 50 tabs and not close any of them. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so you studied speech pathology and you are a speech pathologist because yes. we were going to record this on a Tuesday and that's when you're in clinic. Yeah, correct. Yes. And that's obviously a really big passion of yours because I've been following along on Insta Mm -hmm. and you share like your clinic days and you're like, man, you can see that you're so, uh, I don't know what the word that I'm looking for, but you're so driven and motivated. Like it's a very big part of who you are. Yeah, I really love it. And I didn't practice for a couple of years. Like when I, so when I um, 
started the whole Miss Universe journey, I suppose you call it. When I got through the state final from South Australia, I competed as a South Australian. I moved to Melbourne the following week. So, yeah, so I was, the move was always happening. Mm -hmm. And then I I didn't think I would get through the state final. So I was sort of like, I'll do the state final, then I'll move. And then, you know, I'll get to Melbourne and get a speech job and figure all of that out. But because I got through the state final, it's such a big commitment once you get through. You've then got a trip to Bali and all of these different uh, workshops and things that you need to be available for. So I was like, there's no point in me moving to a different state getting a new job and then telling them, oh, sorry, I'm actually going to Bali in a week and I can't be here. So I was like, I'll just put a hold on that, do the whole Miss Universe thing. And I, so when I got to Melbourne, I was just sort of painting and um, doing a bit of modelling and stuff like that and then waited out, competed in Miss Universe, still didn't think I would win. So my whole idea was, uh, you know, I'd finish it all, enjoy the process and then get a speech job. But then I won, so that kind I've of watched, I've watched changed. the videos of you oh. of you winning, and you're literally like in utter shock. Oh, I look like such a noob. We actually you do not look. Uh, like a noob. I mean, a very glam one at the time, but we um, actually watched those the other night because Justin hadn't seen clips, and we got YouTube up on the TV. And we'd had a few wines and he was showing our housemates and a friend of ours, like all these clips from the International Miss Universe and, yeah, all these things. And I, it just gave me flashbacks of that feeling being on stage and literally thinking like what just like what just happened. I froze. Wow. So all of the cameras and things were in front of me and I was like, I don't know what to do. I hadn't really listened when they said, you know, if you won, this is what you do in rehearsals because I was like, well, I'm not going to win. So I don't really need to listen to this. So I'd tune out and then I was standing there and I'm like, what? I literally said, what the fuck? And one of the judges was like, don't. Like, <laughs> you know, hand to throat, like stop talking. And then so I was looking at the cameras and they were all like, wave. So then I do this like really awkward wave. I saw- and all the photos and my that fingers look like they're stuck together. <laughs> it's, it's like a queen it wave. It is a full queen wave. So embarrassing. Um, but yeah, I love it though. I think it shows you how, yeah, shocked I was and that it wasn't something that I had ever expected to Yeah, to but happen. I think that's the beauty of it. Can I ask yeah. why you didn't think you'd get it? Um, I think I don't want to say self-doubt because it wasn't so much that. I just didn't think it was – me I just never saw you know the whole Miss Universe title next to my name like it wasn't something that I pictured I like I was saying speech pathology was something that I just I just saw myself doing that Mm. and you know when you study four years to do something you prepare for something for so long like that's sort of how I saw myself and that was it whereas Miss Universe was a very quick thing that just happened so it wasn't yeah it wasn't that I doubted myself and didn't think I should do it I mean, there were there were definitely times where I felt like that. Yeah. And, you know, the whole imposter syndrome kicked in a lot of the time um, once I did win it. But, um, but, yeah, it was more that it just wasn't the way I saw my life going, I suppose. Wow. So, okay, so quickly, I just want to enjoy this Miss Universe for a little <laughs> bit longer. I saw an interview of you and you were decked out in a frock that was Sydney Harbour Bridge. Oh, yeah. you look like a Victorian secret model with the like, <laughs> instead of the wings were the fireworks. Fireworks, yes. <laughs> so is that, so is this when you go, because from what I can understand from Miss Universe is you're kind of like in the vortex of Miss Universe. Mm. Yeah, for, is it for a year? Yeah, well, so that's why I didn't practice speech was because yeah. I yeah. then had to be available for all sorts of things 
at all times. And I wanted to make the most of every opportunity yeah. that came my way because it would be silly not to. Like it's a really, it's, it's literally a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I know that there are so many girls that would kill to be doing what I was doing. So that always motivated me. You know, if I was exhausted and I didn't want to really do something or I felt like I couldn't do it, I was like, no, nah, suck it up. Like imagine the girls that really would kill to be doing this and that would always push me further, I think. So, yeah, I was travelling all the time. Mm. I was speaking at different things. Um, Did you go to Vegas? Shoots. Yeah. Is that part of it? Yeah. Well, it's not always Vegas but there's an international competition every year um, and, yeah, mine just happened to be in Vegas. How was it? It was, it's funny because everyone's like, oh my God, how cool Vegas. But you don't, you don't see Vegas as Vegas. Like we yeah. were pretty much cooped in our hotel for the entire two weeks. It's two weeks of rehearsals, photo shoots, um, filming, meet and greets, uh, PR opportunities, that sort of thing for the two weeks in the lead up to the finale. And Did you meet Trump, can I ask? No, he doesn't own it anymore. But, so he he was out of it by the time you got yeah, did it. Yeah, I think he... Because um, he did for ages, didn't he? I can't remember. I think when he became president. Of course. That's when that ended. Had to, had to yeah. make some changes. <laughs> Which makes sense. I think it would be quite weird if the president... <laughs> I mean, it's all weird that he is a president anyway. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, he doesn't own it. IMG own it. Okay. So, I, yeah, it's all very different. Yeah. Uh, which is great because I don't think I would have made it to where I did if he still owned it. So when you say that, is this the body image? Is this because the yeah, yeah. value was the values changed a For little sure. bit? I think one of the main reasons I won was the fact that I do have a degree in speech pathology and I have a voice and I want to talk about things that mean something and not you know not to say that the, the girls before me didn't, but I think a lot more value was placed on exterior things. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, when Jen Hawkins won, like Jen's amazing and obviously has done so, so well, mm. but she was a promo girl. Yeah. That's yeah. all I mean is that, and there's nothing, nothing wrong with that either, but she wouldn't make it to the national finals now, let alone win the whole thing because mm. you have to have, you have to have more, drive, I guess, to be, you know, even if you're not yeah. studying, you want to, you've got to say, you know, this is what I want to be doing. And this is, if I won Miss Universe, this is what I would use it for. I'd use the platform to speak Help. about whatever yeah. it is that you're passionate about. Yeah. You can't just sort of smile and nod and, and say what you're told to say, which is kind of what Trump used to push. And any, if you've seen any, um, like there are amazing movies on beauty pageants and stuff mm -hmm. and it's like global warming. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah and it's yeah. literally like girls used to answer the questions saying, trying to be politically correct and say what they think people want to hear. Whereas now that doesn't happen. You have a voice. Like, yeah. You don't ever see videos now of the girls who make the top five, particularly the international final. They're all just amazing women. The girls that make, to get to that stage, they have a message. And so oh. when they ask a question, they don't fumble like they used to or they're say clear. silly things. They say, you know, they talk about things they're passionate about and they're really inspiring. So oh. it's just, it's really changed. That's cool. Yeah. So it was a cool, to, it was cool to be a part of something that is so different to what people think it is, I think. <sighs> You're making, I'm like, I already liked you before with this, but now <laughs> I'm like, oh, she is just amazing. <laughs> oh, stop. And speaking of, and the same, I feel like the things you choose to do are probably in line with this kind of value that you just kind of touched on. Yeah. I saw you recently 
walk, the catwalk. Yeah, that was Priceline, which was all about empowering women, wasn't it? That was like, I knew it was going to be a fun, awesome thing to be a part of, Mm. but it was really moving. It was quite emotional. There were a lot of women in tears. I think to see all these women who haven't been represented like that before. Mm. Uh, it was, yeah, it was really All different shapes and sizes, all different age groups. Yeah, different backgrounds. And I think yeah. someone walked that was a re- – because I was sitting next to – I was in the audience sitting next to someone at Priceline and they were like, this is our retailer. Like there yeah. was a retailer. Yeah. And I was like, this is amazing. She was so funny though. She got annoyed at me because she said, you know, I was so excited because I was going to be in the paper and then the article ended up being all about how I was walking in it. <laughs> And it was like, and a pharmacy owner. She's like, they didn't put my name. They just said pharmacy <laughs> owner. And I was like, oh, well, at least you know that it was you. Oh, I felt so bad. <laughs> because is it true, I, I read this probably same article, you hadn't taken to the catwalk in quite a while. Is I that hadn't correct? been on a runway since the International Miss Universe final. Dude. Yeah. And um, you, and, and I've read this in a few articles with you now, you're very passionate about positive body image mm-hmm. and and I, that, they kind of brought that up in the article as well and said yeah. one of the articles and they kind of said that that you kind of had taken a stand and been like, mm, I don't want to walk while I am not fit, like while body image is kind of, unless they've, I don't know, yeah. correct me, please no, correct me. I, I, I get what you're saying. I... <laughs> When I was younger, mm-hmm. when I started modeling, mm-hmm. uh, catwalk, I was always told that, first of all, that I was too short for catwalk. I was I was on the cusp um, of the you height. Look, you look super tall to me. I don't know. I, I, I am tall. Yeah. I'm not crazy tall, but I'm 5'9", which is, or 5'8 yeah. five, five, and a half, 5'9". Yeah. That is the, that's considered short for, for your, um, I guess, you know, this was 10 years ago or more, 11 years ago that I started modeling. Mm-hmm. And there was more importance placed on size and height then than there is now. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, at the time I was a short model. So mm-hmm. runway was never something that um, I was really pushed to do and I also didn't love it. Like I'd see videos of myself walking and I was like, oh, I look a bit awkward. And when I was up there having all eyes on you and also trying to keep a straight face, I hated it. Like I suck at that. Oh, you're if, a smiley oh, person. I'm a smiley person. <laughs> and if I feel awkward, I smile more. And also my mum used to come and watch me like the couple of times that I did do a runway. She'd be like, woo, Olivia. <laughs> and so then I'm, I'm trying to not smile. So then my mouth would end up looking like a cat's bum hole because I'm like <laughs> trying to, you know, you know when you're like piercing your like. Pursing your lips together. Um, so it was just never a good look. Um, but also you have to be so thin because the samples, well, back then particularly, the samples that they provide for a runway show, they were always like size six, size eight. They don't fit you. It's fine on a shoot because they can, you know, they can manoeuvre things. They mm. can um, put clips on where they need yeah. to. They can leave zips open if they need to and then spin it around and do things like that. But on a runway, people see you from all angles. So yeah. if the clothes don't fit you, you can't wear it. So yeah. there was way more pressure on weight. I just didn't really like that. So, yeah. So I, I'm. thank you for talking about that because the reason, and this is the moment that I really wanted to get you on the podcast, mm-hmm. you and I went to an event together for Intimo, the lingerie mm-hmm. brand. We were having a few cheeky rosés. Yes, we were. Uh, uh, <laughs> and uh, we got talking about body image, you, myself and Abby Gilmore. Yes. Bless. I love that day. Oh, that was fun. We had a lot of fun. And you said something like, I'm the healthiest I've been now, but I'm also so much heavier than what I was oh, when yeah. I was doing catwalk. Is that correct? Well, modeling in particular. So 
like I said, I didn't do much runway, but mm. I, yeah, I was still told to be uh, a certain size. So I developed an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, it was funny because I, I think so many girls get, get it in their heads at a certain age. I think every woman has gone through body totally. image issues and to different extents, for sure. I'm not saying everybody's had an eating disorder. I know that you have had issues with eating disorders in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't think everybody's had an eating disorder, but I think everybody has struggled to look in the mirror and be like, I'm okay with this. Totally. And there are different times in your life when that's worse than others. Mm-hmm. But when I was a teenager, I remember so much, like before I developed any sort of issue with food, um, looking at girls that were smaller than me because I was chubby from like 12 to probably 16 or, or 15. Oh, no, maybe younger than that. I don't know. Like I went through a ch- really chubby phase and I That's became- That's the age you want to as well though. That's when you're growing. Yeah, but like, it was not, it was more- Not healthy. Sadness, yeah. Okay. I Like my my parents broke up. There were a whole lot of things. It was, mm. it was younger than that. My parents split up when I was eight. I think from when I was like nine to maybe, nine to 12 particularly, mm. I became a bit chubby and- uh, I wasn't really aware of it that much until pe- other people pointed it out to me. So I got picked on a bit. Mm. And that's when I was like, oh, well, being bigger is not a good thing. You know, you get told that being slim is desirable, being chubby or anything that's not slim is not desirable mm. and you should try and hide it. So I sort of felt like I needed to hide my body. And then my friends that I had that were smaller than me, which was majority of them, to be honest, and they were just naturally built that way. Mm-hmm. I was quite envious and I thought, oh, imagine if I if I looked like that, I bet I'd be so happy. And I think mm. that so many girls have that totally. thought. Totally. And you're like, that. yeah, oh, yeah. well, if my body was like that, I'd, I'd just have no worries. Because, mm. you know, you, so many of your worries or so much of your time is consumed by those thoughts of like, oh, I hate, you know, I hate my legs or I hate my tummy or I hate whatever it is you spend your time thinking about wasting energy on and you think, you know, those worries would go if you had this slim body. Mm. But when I became sick and I was so, so skinny. Would you say anorexic? Yeah, it started as anorexia because I was completely just restricting Mm -hmm. everything. Um, Started as that, then developed into bulimia. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then that lasted. So I I didn't look sick for as long as I was sick. I was sick for a really long time. But the time that I was anorexic was when I looked the sickest. And I was so skinny, but I, at the same time, was diagnosed with severe depression. Mm. So happiness and skinniness do not go hand in hand. Mm. And I, yeah, I learned that the hard way. That's such an important message because that, that mental mindset of, I'll be happy when I'm skinny. Like I've had that, I couldn't tell you a million yeah. times. Oh, and you know, sometimes that thought still creeps yeah. in. Yeah. Because you might be getting dressed one day and you don't really like how you look or how you feel and you're like, oh, well, I'd be happy if I lost five kilos or whatever it, whatever that thought is. But, yeah, over the years I've just gotten better at squashing that thought and knowing that it's not the case. You also really opened up when we were um, at that event and you showed me photos and I was mm. like, and I've got the same style photos of myself and it's so... Um, it's so empowering when you see and feel yourself healthy like yeah. you are now and then when you do look back at that and you can see that that is sick, like yeah. there's a that's when you, I think you know that. Definitely. You would know, I'm sure, the trajectory, trajectory of healing eating disorder on a mental health it's it's an it's a not a quick process. Oh, my God. And it's also not a, okay, suddenly you wake up and you're like, I'm better. 
Like, no. I love my body. Like, that doesn't happen. And I think that that's scary for people to hear, but it's just the truth. Like, I don't want to tell anybody who does have an eating disorder. Like, I I am, I want to say I'm recovered, but I do think you're always recovering. Like, totally. I, it's not yeah. something that ever completely leaves you. And when things are uncertain in your life, it is that sort of go-to thought mm. or that feeling that you want to control something. So it is like your mind is just a bit of a bitch sometimes and it's like mm. let's think about what you're eating and what exercise you're doing and yeah you just have to get better and stronger it's like training a muscle like training yeah. your brain to get better at squashing those thoughts totally um I've got an acting teacher that's really into human behavior and neuroscience and he talks about we need to re-myelinate the brain and, yeah. and it's the same with those pat- those negative thought patterns and switching them into I, I feel healthy, I look healthy, I feel yeah. and like. And being strong as well. Yeah. Like I know when I was sick, like I, I, sl- I could barely sleep. Like I'd fall asleep at maybe 1.30, 2 in the morning, but then I'd force myself to get up at 6 to go for a run. Mm. And then so by the time it got to 9am I was already yawning, I'd get to uni. This was my first year of uni that I was probably my sickest. And I'd get to uni and sit in a lecture and be falling asleep. Mm. So I was living off coffee. Um, but just to get through a day, I would have to have a nap at some uh, some stage because I just couldn't, my body couldn't function. And to think about that now, like I never nap. I, there's no time no. for that. There is. I would love to sometimes, but there's no time for that. And that I can go through a full night and sleep and wake up and feel rested and then get on with all the things that I want to do in my life and have the energy for it. Mm. Like that is such a simple thing, but that was, yeah, that's, I think you notice the difference there when you're like, okay, I, being healthy is not about the size of my body. It is literally about how my body feels and now it feels good. And I say to people like, you just want to feel like the best version of you. Yeah. And I think being healthy is kind of like the trick to that. I used to I used to do a lot of um, speaking at schools mm-hmm. and I'd say, guys, I don't care what you want to be. Like I don't care what your career trajectory is and your dream is. If you want to be the best of that, a pilot, an astronaut, a dog walker, an artist, whatever it is you want to be, your health still needs to be your number one priority to 100%. be the best of that. Yeah. It's like your magic ingredient. Yeah. Um, and it's funny too because I think you sort of get caught up in it all and you think that that's how, like the scary thought for me when I was really sick was the fear of gaining weight was so strong. Yeah. And the thought of, because because I thought I would be like that forever, the thought of being like that forever was exhausting to even think about. Like I was like, I can't go through my whole life with this amount of energy. Like it's just not mm. going to work. And then that's when, you know, the suicidal thoughts crept in because I was like, I can't do this for, I just can't. You can't imagine living like that. And it's not doable. You can't. Mm. You just can't do it. But, yeah, I think eventually, and I, I watched the Taylor Swift de- documentary. How Have you seen it? it? Yes, oh, I loved it friend. so much. I am drinking all of her Kool-Aid. I love her. Yeah. And where she spoke about her eating disorder yeah. and she said, you know, I used to think it was normal to come off stage and feel like I was going to faint. Mm. And that spoke to me so much because I was like, it is, it's, it's, you have this like clarity where you're like, oh, if I eat a normal meal, I feel good. <laughs> and you can mentally compartmentalise your yeah. Thought pattern? Mm. Do you notice you can be Your like, brain oh, works better. oh, that's just a thought I'm having. It's not actually, yeah, I'm having a negative thought, but I don't need to make that me. Yeah, and you don't need to act on it. 
One thing is really good because the next thing I want to talk to you about is something that you and I are both so passionate and open about. Mm-hmm. And I imagine this might have been one of the things that helped move you through the darker time or the yeah. tougher time of the eating disorder. Um, I'm really passionate about mental health and seeing a therapist. And I know mm-hmm. you are as well. Definitely. Do you want to share a little bit about that part yeah. of the journey? I think so. To be completely honest, while I've been living here, like it's coming up to three years since I've since I moved to Melbourne. Mm. And prior to moving, I had a wonderful psychologist in Adelaide and moving here, I felt really good. I honestly felt like the Miss Universe period, as challenging as it was at times, it really helped my mental health because then I put it out to the world that I'd had an eating disorder and I felt like it sort of kept me. Kept me as well. Um, it did that and also held me accountable because mm. I was like, if I ever have those thoughts and if I ever think, oh, well, maybe I should, you know, lose weight for the international final because people told me that, that I should. People were constantly commenting on how I looked. But having put it out there, I was like, well, if I fall back into that trap in my own mind, I feel like I'd be letting all the people down that I have told. Totally. And the people that have looked to me to be like, oh, well, if she can get through it, then I can. Especially young women. Yeah. So then I felt like it wasn't just me I'd be letting down. It was all these other people. So it held me, yeah, held me accountable and made me stronger. So I feel like that was a really good time um, mentally for me. But, yeah, recently I have had some family stuff going on and Justin's wonderful, my partner, but he can't fix me and I know that and I think I was putting a bit too much pressure on him to to know what to say when I said, you know, I'm feeling really anxious or this is overwhelming me or I'm really flat today and he doesn't always know what to say and I was like, okay, I'm putting too much pressure on him to manage that. Like it's not up to him. I need to go and speak to someone else. So that's when I decided to go and find a good psychologist, which can be tricky, but I was really lucky because my GP recommended one and and she's awesome and, yeah, I've been seeing her weekly since Jan. So and good. Yeah. How good is weekly? So weekly good. is powerful. So good. And I shared recently, like I, I've been feeling great. Um, like there was this one day that I had my session booked in. I had so much to do. And I was like, I actually feel good today. Maybe I'll cancel. But then I was like, no, don't, don't do that. Like, don't be stupid because I know in the past I've done that when I've been feeling good and I've cancelled appointments and then the next week things blow up and I'm like, oh, why did yeah, I miss? Yeah, why did I miss that. an appointment? So I went and even though I had been feeling good, she still somehow managed to bring things out that made me cry. It's oh, like yeah. all that stuff's still there. <laughs> yeah. You just have to have the certain conversation to bring it up, and then yeah, I always just feel so much. I have so much more clarity when I when I leave. Do you know what my therapist said? When I go to him when I'm feeling really great and I'm like, I don't know what we're going to talk about today, he's like, now we get to do the work. Mm. And so that's when you get to kind of like clean out stuff that you might be holding on to. And we do a lot of work around eating disorder, self-worth and needing something that I don't need. Yeah. Like a lot of like because I'm more of a, I'm more the emotional binge eater so I go more the other way okay. and, and he'll be like you're feeding something that doesn't need to be fed. Yeah. And and so we'll, we'll do that on days I feel great. So uh, like I say to people when you feel great it's probably a perfect time to see mm. a therapist because you can actually get a lot of work done together. Yeah. And also think about the smaller things like somehow sometimes like there's a lot there's a lot of family stuff that goes on for me just constantly. And I know there is for a lot of people. And you're away from them. Yeah, it's yeah. hard. Um, and that's something that I don't, you know, as much as I share about my mental health, it's not my position to share the ins and outs of my family. Like that's their story. That's their business. I think I can say it's affecting me without telling people what the cause is. 
Um, but so we talk a lot about that stuff. So when I do feel good, it's usually when that stuff is not as pressing. So then we can talk about the other things. And something that came up the other day is like, I have this severe anxiety around my phone, not around social media and stuff, which people might think, but it's more, I struggle to answer calls from unknown numbers. Like I just can't, I have to leave, I leave it. And she, and so that's been my homework recently Mm. is that I need to, I'm, she has, she's told me that I have to force myself to break that behavior Mm. and answer the call. Um, Have you been doing it? I have, yeah. How does it's, it feel? It's good. Every time I do it, I'm like, oh. because What was I worried my, about? Yeah, well, my initial thought is that it's going to be bad news or ah. which is I think I thought it was weird but she was like, well, let's think back. Have there been times where you've had received those kinds of phone mm. calls? And there have been a lot. There have mm. been a lot. So, yeah, it was sort of stuck in me that I was like, oh, every time someone calls, I'm like assuming the worst. Even if mm. it's my dad sometimes and dad and I speak most days but sometimes he'll be ringing me and I'm like oh something's gone wrong uh yeah um I have a great friend that I've interviewed on here Jad Patrick who's a naturopath but counsellor and he Mm. said our brain is literally hardwired to find negative yeah it's like a primal ice age protection thing it's literally like our primal brain brainstem that's like must survive find the negative thing so we don't get killed yeah and so it makes sense when you know that you're like oh my brain is just sticky protecting yeah the negative yeah it's total protection but then yeah my um psychologist said you've got to challenge that so even if you look at it and you're like okay it's dad he could be telling me x y and z that is bad but if that happens i'm gonna be okay and we'll, yeah. and we'll get past it. So she's like, think of the worst thing that could happen and then pick up the phone because it's usually not going to be that. But even if it is, you'll work through it. And that's uh, so true. Yeah, so like it's been it. it's been a good challenge. Um, and, yeah, it's nice to feel like you're making progress on something. So every time I answer it, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm getting I'm answering with more gusto, I think. Oh, you, gusto is to, a good word, my friend. <laughs> I used to answer the phone like, hello. Like, oh, God, (laughs) what's this going to be? Do you know what happened to me the other day? You're going to love this. I walked into a chemist and the security guard smiled at me on the way in and on the way out he goes, excuse me, are you a police officer? And I said, no, but can I ask why you feel that? And he said, it's the way you move your body and the way that you engage with people because obviously I'd made eye contact with the person I was buying. So confidence? It's confidence. That's so cool. I was like... Thanks. I said that. I'm going to go arrest <laughs> someone. <laughs> but I notice I answer my phone very, I'm like, hello, Lola speaking. Like I don't. Uh, yeah, you're very assertive. Super. I'm not assertive. And that's something I need to work on too. And that's, I mean, that comes back to the phone call thing. Yeah. I am like. Think police I'm, I'm a people officer. pleaser. Yeah, I need to do that. Maybe I'll put on a costume. And I I'll didn't realise <laughs> it though. Like I must have just, that's what that's I mean. A, like, like that's such a compliment. I, I took it as, yeah. I was like, you, you made my day, mate. Yeah. <laughs> but my po- it is like I think your therapist is spot on. Like whatever is on the other end of that call, it's probably way worse in your head than the reality 100%. of the situation. Yeah. And it's only your body that's protecting you, though your mind that's protecting you from yeah. that, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So it's kind of a positive. Yeah, it is. I, and that's part of the reason I love going to her is like the conversations we have are so interesting. And yeah. I feel like I'm constantly saying, you know, I feel like it's still a little bit taboo here in Australia, which is why you you and I both talk about going. I think mm. people need to be more open about the fact that they do go. It's not nothing to be embarrassed about. Whereas in America, they're like, well, my therapist said, yeah. you know, they're always Who's talking about it. But I feel, yeah, <laughs> I feel like that person because I'm like, oh, well, my psychologist said this, but I'm always drawing on it because it is always oh. relevant. It is my non-negotiable. Yeah. 
And I think if we can, yeah, help get rid of the stigma of, oh, there's something wrong with you, you're going to a psychologist, what about, no, no, I am feeling clear, I'm feeling productive, I'm feeling driven, I'm feeling myself because I am addressing those parts. And also it makes your relationships around you better because you take the pressure off those. Like Justin and I, it's been so much better for us because I can tell him what we've spoken about and I still rely on him to support me Mm. but I don't rely on him to know all the answers. I'm the exact same with Matt, my partner. He's also got a therapist. Oh, that's and we so good. both will separately go to our therapist and we'll have a little debrief after. That's but so good. It, the biggest thing that's changed for us is I used to expect things mm. of Matt. Like I'd be like, well, I expect that of you. And he's like, and my therapist is like, drop all expectation. And it, our whole relationship, which was already a good relate, really good relationship, yeah. it just went to like this amazing, like free yeah. and um, unconditional love and yeah. you get that with no expectation. It makes such a it's difference. It's so cool. It's so good. Justin's come to a couple of sessions with me too. How cool is that? Yeah, because How, does he, he like them? Well, yeah, he was the one who suggested it. Ah. Uh, because he was like, I want to like, learn more about what I can do to help. And I think even for him just to like he was really chatty in the sessions. I was like, this is great. Yeah. Oh, what a legend. Yeah, I think it's so good. Speaking of positive stuff because you are such a like I think a, a light of inspiration. Oh, I, I couldn't kind. do this. No, it's tr- dude, speaking the truth, I, I couldn't do this without talking to you about your art. Yeah. Because it came up a bit in all the interviews I watched of you and you and I see it all on your Instagram and I have an obsession with Mexican folk art. Oh, me too. Clearly. Oh, <laughs> I love it. And just the and- colours. Like I just am obsessed with bright colours and the the difference that makes to my mood, like painting with bright colours. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's massive. How did you find drawing, paint? Because you draw, paint, that I've made notes. You <laughs> illustrate, draw and paint. I do, yeah. Well, it's all a combination with whatever I'm doing. So they always start as an illustration um, and then depends on what I'm feeling as to what medium I want to use. But I do love painting. Painting I find com- like probably the most therapeutic but coloring in you know it's Mm. become a bit of a mindfulness thing I've actually been thinking I want to do like a coloring in book and Um, I saw an interview with you where you want to do a kid's book well yeah I have illustrated that and my friend wrote it and this has been something that we've I know we just haven't published it yet it's literally just there ready to go we need to do it but it's yeah it's for for, it's about mindfulness for children so we need to get it out there for sure please 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 um and you know it took a long time to do those illustrations so I need to get it out there so that's yeah that's on the on the to-do list for this year for sure but I think you know it's funny because with my art like I went through a phase where that was kind of all I was doing um well it was my only source of income for a while so Mm. when I was at uni my painting was my income. So for a period, like I did, I had all sorts of jobs. Like I worked at Dan Murphy's as a checkout chick. Mm. Uh, I worked in retail. I, I've had, you know, like most people, I've had all sorts of jobs. Um, but then I started selling, I started painting more and then people were interested and they were like, oh, I want to buy that. And I was like, oh, this is weird. I never thought anybody would want to buy my art. It was just a hobby. And then, yeah, it just sort of... Um, Grew. grew really quickly, like word of mouth. Being in Adelaide, Adelaide's so small. So someone would go to someone's house and be like, oh, I like that. Where'd you get it? And then they would come to me. So I was doing commissions all the time. Oh, wow. So I stopped my 
other job in retail and I was just painting, which was awesome because my days are off uni. I could just stay in my pyjamas and paint all day. I loved it. I lo- and it was, like you said, your stuff has got so much colour and vibrancy yeah. and positivity. Yeah. So my, my room in my house in Adelaide, well, mum's house in Adelaide is just it's like you vomited up my art everywhere. Like it's <laughs> it's very bright. Um, it's not so much here in our place in Melbourne. But, um, but yeah, I was doing it all the time. I ended up doing wine labels and T-shirts and Did you do a some campaign murals. with Sports Girl earlier this year? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, oh, it was last year now. Oh, my um, goodness, it was too. Yeah, we did. I did scrunchies yeah. with them and the proceeds from the sales of the scrunchies went to the Butterfly Foundation, which was just such a nice link because obviously Perfect. my eating disorder and then, yeah, to have something tangible too and to see people wearing it. It's yeah. funny because so many of my friends have them and we'll catch up for a coffee or something and they'll be wearing it and I'm like, oh, nice scrunchie. They're like, oh, I didn't even do it on purpose. <laughs> like it's happened yeah. with Tegan, you know, Teagues. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's rocked up to a coffee and I'm like, oh, nice scrunchie. Like did you, you know, that's a bit cute. She's like, oh, my God, I literally just wear it all the time. I don't. She's <laughs> a legend. Yeah. You and her are both great ambassadors for oh, the Miss you. Universe. She's a friggin'. She's the best. We, we sauna together. <laughs> <laughs> it's very intimate. I know. And I said to her, what do we do? Do we wear togs? What do we do? Like, And she's like, don't worry, mate, you're going to be fine. <laughs> she's the best. So I guess like this goes so fast, by the way. Can you believe it? Oh, We're what? nearly at the end. No. I know. You're amazed. Um, <laughs> we need to do part two. I know. <laughs> can can we just talk to, uh, for I think, for girls or women listening to this that are either in a bit of a negative cycle with food, body image, mm-hmm. and I think you mentioned like the way that um, we talk to ourselves about our bodies but also our relationship with food. Like mm-hmm. I know I'd go from like being really healthy and mindful and present and eating like the way you eat like your salmon and, you know, your oh, like macro bowls, but then I would either overindulge and feel guilty for two days and then restrict as a result of that. Like, yeah. And I know that's a really common habit for a lot of people out there uh, listening and maybe a yeah. nutritionist is a common thing that people write to me about. And I just, for people that are in it still at the moment, yeah. what advice would you have? For me, I think the thing that really helped me was starting to view foods as just something that you need, just all foods. So you need to give your body nutrition to function and to use your brain properly, like we were saying before. Um, so not seeing foods as good and bad. So chocolate is not a bad food. Chocolate is amazing. Delicious. Chocolate's great. We love chocolate. <laughs> so you stop seeing it as something that's really bad that you shouldn't have and you should restrict. If I restrict anything from my diet, I know that in 10 days' time I will go really hard on it because I've missed it. It's the purple elephant in the room story. Exactly. Don't think about the purple elephant yeah. in the room. You want it you more want it if you again. can't have it. So I literally, there's nothing I've restricted from my diet except for dairy because dairy is not good for my tummy or my skin. But there is nothing else that I'm like, I'm I'm not going to have that because that's going to make me fat or that's going to make me, you know, um, I don't know, just heavier or whatever it is. I don't think like that anymore. So I eat my meals, I eat my breakfast, lunch and dinner, I take time, I sit down, like mindful eating, I make sure that I'm taking the time to have my meals. Which look amazing on the gram, by the way. Oh, I love cooking. I used to hate cooking too. I think like I've sort of got this really good relationship with food now where I just appreciate it so much. Mm. So taking the time to plan my meals and set out, you know, time to sit down and enjoy it. If I'm really busy at work, like a speech day, I'll still make sure that I've got my food there and I'll eat it over a period of time. But if I, because I know that if I don't eat my lunch, then later that's when I'm more likely to 
binge or something. Yeah. But honestly, I can't even tell you the last time I did that because this has just become such a regular habit, behavior that I eat my meals. And if I feel like having an ice cream, I'm going to have that ice cream. I'm going to enjoy it and I'm not going to feel bad about it. And it do- it takes a really long time, it does, to get to that point. And because I was bulimic for a long time too, like I lost that control. I used to binge and and purge and it was awful. Mm. Um, it was awful. And it, having having that feeling of, you know, when you're eating and you just feel like you can't stop yourself. Mm. I went through that for a really long time. So it did, I'm not saying this is going to, you know, you're not going to be able to fix it in a minute, but there are lots of great resources out there to help with this. But that is the thing that helps me the most is just being kind to yourself and and not viewing food as as good and bad. Yeah, I love saying um, that it's, it's something we need yeah. as opposed to, I want that thing. It's like, well, no, this is a fuel. Yeah. And I hate like so many people, particularly in our industry, to be honest, um, have this these damaging uh, thoughts and comments. Like people will always say, if we're at an event and someone has a cocktail or that maybe they have three cocktails, they're like, oh, I better go for a big run tomorrow. Everyone has that mindset of like, oh, if I eat that, then I've got to burn it off. I just don't view it like mm. that. I exercise. Exercising for me is now completely separate to my food. Same. My exercise is for my mental health. Mm. It's not to burn off calories mm. and it's not to look a certain way. And once you stop viewing exercise as that, mm. you have Big a different relationship change. with exercise. And once you stop viewing food as um, something that you shouldn't have, it changes everything as well. I think I saw even on your Instagram, you did a Q&A last night and someone said like, how do you go with exercise? And you're like, it's for my mental health. Yeah. Like I do it because it makes me feel better. And if better. I'm setting goals with my exercise, it is never, I don't, I haven't weighed myself in same five years, yeah, I think. Same. Which is tricky sometimes, you know, there were, recently we um, got asked to do something in a helicopter and were, my manager was like, oh, I need your weight. And I was like, couldn't tell you, doll. And I'm not going to get on a scale because I know that's triggering for yeah. me. So we just yeah. made up a number. Um, yeah. <laughs> probably shouldn't tell pilots or anyone that, but um, I think it was roughly that. But um, but yeah, don't weigh myself. So any goals that I set with exercise, it'll be getting faster with my runs, running a longer distance, lifting a heavier weight, mm. um, doing more reps. It's never about my weight or getting abs or good. toning up, whatever. If you do that, you're just going to disappoint yourself. Mm. So I think... Yeah, setting different goals, it's a, it helps so much. Thank you so much for kind of like comp, not even compartmentalising, you've just restructured the way that we can not just in like enjoy food but like the way in which we can consume food. Like I, I tell people, everyone, a lot of people say to me in my books, uh, what are the calories of that and what are the macros and micros? And I said I don't believe in it so no. I, I will never be including them. I'm like it's got whole foods. Yeah. And the body is going to know what to do with those foods. I think How it's, cool. it's, it becomes a really obsessive thing if you start counting. Nah. There's just, I think it's so damaging. So I never I never look at that stuff. Oh, you're so good. <laughs> you're so good. And one last thing just for people out there that are like, um, you are so creative and I think that a lot of people, re- um, it's really easy to let go of your heart when you're in something like an eating disorder or you're getting through a mental health thing and you're just like, okay, I'm going to, after I hear this, I'm going to go to a therapist. I'm Mm going to make that change. But I feel like when you feed also the creativity part of your life, it does something almost, I don't want to sound hippie and woo-woo, but it does something to your heart. Yeah. And just for people that like, I know most, I think all humans have got some form of creativity in them. And does, 
like withdrawing and the book that I've given you, by the way, I drew the whole oh, back page. I'm going to show you. Oh, I'm going to so show cool. you when we finish. Um, but it does something like I think it heals the heart in a really weird way. And I know this isn't psychology right now, but. And, no, I get that. And this is a really weird rounded way of asking this question. But for people that just are like, I need to do something positive just for me. Mm. Is drawing that for you and painting that I think that so, for you? yeah. I think creating something, there's something about the process and then finishing something off. Like, And I've, I've actually heard like a carpenter talk about this. It's like having a project or a builder, like seeing something that you planned to do and then you lived through it, you made it, and then to have the finished product on the other end, like it's really satisfying yeah. and it's really cool and you can show people and be like, well, I did this and be proud of yourself. And it might be knitting a scarf or yeah. it might be – I don't know, doing crochet or doing pottery or just anything like that. I feel like there's so much, you can get so much from creating something and also just enjoying the process. Yeah, I love it. So, yeah, having time to paint is such a luxury that I am loving right now. You've inspired me to go back to just just even like little things that are just for me yeah. creatively. And also putting on like an audiobook or a podcast yeah. um, or having Netflix playing in the background while you're doing something like that is just honestly, it's <gasps> like... My, heaven. Yeah, it's my heaven. <laughs> and you, my friend of heaven, thank you oh, so thank much. You. you are such a wonderful soul. Like um, I said, could chat forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly you. <laughs> this was this was unreal. Um, guys, please check out the wonderful Olivia Molly Rogers. Thanks, She's Lana. um a beam of bright light. Big You're love. a gem. Thank you. That's a wrap on another episode of Fearlessly Failing. As always, thank you to our guests. And let's continue the conversation on Instagram. I'm at Yummo Lollaberry. This potty, my word for podcast, is available on all streaming platforms. I'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and comment. And of course, spread the love. Mm-hmm.